Good morning, church. Are you ready to walk? Let's praise Him this morning, church, for all that He has done, all that He's doing, and all that He promises to do. Sing it out with me. And praise God from whom blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above me, heavenly host. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. We sing Amen.
church You unravel me With a melody You surround me With a song
Welcome to Camarillo Community Church. Ah, man, it's so good to see all this orange out there. You know, there's a good baseball team that has a lot of orange too. And uh, uh, yeah, let's start this day off on a bad note, right? Uh, welcome to Camarillo Community Church. If you are new to us, you came us on a great weekend. We are doing a walk for water this uh, after our gathering today. And uh, really in solidarity with all the, our sisters across the world in Africa who have to walk 6K a day to get clean water for themselves, their family, and their children. And so we're walking in solidarity with them. We're also, if you registered, uh, all the monies that are raised through registration are going to go to uh, clean water initiatives in Africa. We're partnering uh, with World Vision together. Now, we haven't mentioned this, but this is something that's going on across the United States. Churches all over the country took yesterday and today to walk for this area of need, great need across our world. And so this is our way of saying we're not just about ourselves, we're about others as well, about our local community, about the world. And so we're walking today, rain or shine, we are walking today. Now here's the thing, it's not going to rain, and I'll tell you why. Because our executive pastor, a faithful, faithful man, great at his job, I said, would you put an order in for no rain? And he is going to make sure that it doesn't rain, and if it does rain, we're going to fire him. So that's how that's going to work. If you're online with us, put on an orange shirt and get on your treadmill for... Man, that's... That's funny. Anyway, uh, welcome. We're so glad that you're with us. I forget, I can't, I can't forget to say this. After our gathering today, now we're doing one gathering, 9 a.m. We are foregoing our 1045 gathering so we can do this walk together. Uh, I looked this morning on the weather app. It said rain before and rain after. And you know why? Because God wants you to walk. That's why, right? And God already took care of the rain before. Kenny's going to take care of the rain after. And we are going to walk today. And then afterwards, we're going to do a barbecue. So there's some of you here, hey, I wasn't intending on walking or I wasn't intending on, on uh, the registration piece. You could still walk with us in solidarity, bring five bucks and we'll still give you a hot dog. It's going to be awesome. You're going to want to be here and be a part of that. So after our gathering today, please, please listen. Go get your kids and have them walk with you because I don't want uh, the, you know, the people in our children's ministry to be mad at me when you thought that there was child care during the walk. There is no child care during the walk. I've given them the okay. If your child is here, we will Uber them to the nearest park where there are strange people, stranger danger. Man, I'm on fire this morning. None of that's in the notes. That's just, uh, that's just off the cuff. So 10.30, uh, uh, we're starting our walk uh, sharp at 10.30. Go get a jacket. Go get your dog, whatever. We're going to walk together at 10.30. We'll be done today at 10.15. Get your kids. Everybody's welcome. Barbecue afterwards. It's going to be awesome. Well, this week, I did some research on the worst trades in professional sports history. Now, some of you guys might know that I am an MLB baseball fan. That is when my team is good, which has been about a half a decade now. And I'm also an NBA basketball fan, and I'm most notoriously an NFL football fan. I cannot wait for it to come back. And historically, there have been some bad trades. I don't know if you know about these. Bad trades over time. Like once upon a time, the San Francisco Giants traded for A.J. Przinsky, and they traded away Joe Nathan, the closer pitcher, to get him. 
A.J. Brzezinski did nothing for the Giants, and Joe Nathan ended up being a Hall of Fame closer, probably the best in Twins history. In 1989, the Montreal Expos traded away Randy Johnson for nobodies. Uh, Randy Johnson of Hall of Fame stature. Five years later, the, the, the Los Angeles Dodgers traded away Hall of Famer Pedro Martinez to the Montreal Expos for Delano DeShields. Um, of course, the Montreal Expos would later lose Pedro Martinez to the Boston Red Sox for his monstrous career with many Cy Youngs to boot. Can you imagine if the Montreal Expos had kept Randy Johnson and Pedro Martinez? There might still be a team in Montreal today had they done that. Uh, Indianapolis Colts traded away Marshall Falk to the St. Louis Rams for a second round pick and a fifth round pick. Big mistake. They could have had two Hall of Famers, both Peyton Manning and Marshall Falk, on the same team together. In 1983, the Baltimore Colts traded away the number one overall pick in the NFL draft. John Elway uh, to the Denver Broncos, who would end up turning out to be a Hall of Famer, and the Colts are now in Indianapolis. Did you know that Kobe Bryant was traded for by the Lakers for Lottie Divock? Now, Lottie had a couple more good years in him, but Kobe Bryant ended up being a five-time NBA champion and arguably in the discussion for the best player who ever played the game. Bad trade. Big mistake. And probably the worst ever. Uh, in professional sports, Babe Ruth was traded away from the Boston Red Sox to the New York Yankees for $100,000 in cash and a $300,000 loan to finance a musical. Uh, and, the, and of course, the Red Sox would end up beginning their great many years, I think it was 50, 60 year curse, and the New York Yankees would dominate the World Series for the next 20 years. I would say that was a bad move. I would say that was a bad trade. Well, in our study in the book of 1 Samuel, we find that the nation of Israel, God's selected and chosen people, have also had a bad trade. They've traded their God for something they value as, uh, something they believe is more valuable, more powerful, and more beneficial, a human king. Here, God was reigning as their king, and they said, we want to trade you away and put in a human king because we believe that king would be more valuable, more powerful, and more beneficial. Up until this point, God had been reigning on their throne, and they have now insisted upon his replacement. God has been impeached of some nature. Today, we'll look at what happens when we trade God in for something else. How do our human solutions pan out? And what's the best humanity can offer? Like our ideas versus God's ideas, what turns out better? And how far do our ideas take us? What are the consequences of trading in divine solutions for human solutions? And how does our humanity look in comparison to God? For that, we're going to be in 1 Samuel chapter 10. I challenge you to open your Bible right now. If you have a bound Bible, open it up. If you have your phones, open it up. Go to 1 Samuel chapter 10. We'll be looking at verses 17 through 27 together, really ending chapter 10 together, and about a third of the way done with the book. So we're moving right along. If you don't have a Bible, let's say it's your first time to church, you're not used to religious activities, it's not been your history or your family home of origin, I would like you to know that we would love to give you your first Bible. And so if you left today, on the left-hand side, said Pastor Dave said I could have a Bible, they'll give you a leather-bound Bible, we'll give you a coupon so you can get your name put on it as well. 
Um, and so we would love to be able to do that for you. We're in 1 Samuel chapter 10, we're looking at verses 17 through 27, and we're talking about bad trades today. Overarching question today is, what happens when we trade God in for finite things? What happens when we trade God in for finite things? When I say finite things, I just mean there's a difference between that which is infinite and that which is finite. God is infinite. He's everywhere. He's all-knowing. He's all-powerful. He is the definition of infinity. Finite things would be the opposite. What happens when we trade God in for finite things, things that are not all-knowing, all-powerful, and everywhere? What happens when we trade God in for finite things? The first thing we're going to see is that we forfeit divine solutions for human solutions. We forfeit over divine solutions for what we think is better, namely our human solutions. We're going to look at this in verses 17 through 22 together. It says this, watch along as I read. Now Samuel called the people together to the Lord at Mizpah. And he said to the people of Israel, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, I brought up Israel out of Egypt and I delivered you from the hand of the Egyptians and from the hand of all the kingdoms that were oppressing you. But today you have rejected your God, who saves you from all your calamities and your distresses, and you have said to him, set a king over us. If you have a highlighter, a pencil, or a pen, I would have you highlight this, circle it, underline it. But today you rejected your God, who saves you from all your calamities and your distresses, and you have said to him, set a king over us. Now, therefore, present yourselves before the Lord by tribes and by your thousands. And then Samuel brought all the tribes of Israel near, and the tribe of Benjamin was taken by Lot. He brought the tribe of Benjamin near and its clans, and the clan of uh, Matrites is what I'm going to go with, was taken by Lot. And then Saul, the son of Kish, was taken by Lot. But when they sought him, they could not find him. So they inquired of the Lord, is there a man still to come? And the Lord said, behold, he has hidden himself among the what? The baggage. What happens when we uh, trade in God for finite things while we forfeit divine solutions for human solutions? Uh, God's solutions for man-made solutions. Here, Samuel gathers all the people of Israel at Mizpah in order to remind them of their decision to replace God. Now, this has been going on for a couple chapters. God, we want our own king. We want our own king. We want to look like the other nations all around. Now, they got a pretty king, a strong king, a tall king, fits the part, looks the part. You can see him. They can have a procession, and we can, we can, we can exalt, I'll hail the king, and, and, and you're invisible. We don't like that. We want to set you aside, and we want to put somebody else on that throne. And so this has been going on for a while, and finally, God says, okay, I'm going to give you what you want. Let's all gather at Mizpah. Mizpah just means outpost or garrison. It seems to be a place of a national assembly, kind of the capital city of sorts. In chapter 7 and 8, when God rescued Israel from the Philistines, they met at Mizpah beforehand. Uh, This has been kind of a a key place where you would kind of have the, the State of the Union address kind of thing. And so let's gather together and let's... Let's talk about how God is going to give you what you wanted. But before he does that, he reminds them of their ill-founded decision. He says, I, 
uh, um, I am the one who brought you out of Egypt, Exodus chapter 12. And then I'm the one who gave you entrance into Canaan, the promised land. That's the book of Joshua. I'm the one who ordained the capture of Jericho without even a fight, Joshua chapter 6. I'm the one who granted Joshua miraculous victory over the coalition of Canaanite kings, Joshua 10. I gave Gideon the victory over the Midianites in Judges chapter 7 and 8. I've been there the whole time. And every challenge you've been through, I was there. And as long as you kept the covenant to me, which was our agreement, you follow me, I protect and provide for you. As long as we kept our sides of the agreement, you were fine. But now you think you'll be better off with a human king. And it's like he's reminding them, this is your ill-founded decision that you want. This is who you are rejecting right now. This is who you are placing to the side. Whatever comes of this decision will will be brought about upon yourselves. You see, they believed that a human king would bring about more stability, more reliability, more protection, more national security. And make note of this, because this is true of our own lives. It is easy to forget how faithful the Lord has been in the past when we are facing new challenges today. It is easy to forget how faithful the Lord has been in the past when we are facing new challenges today. We just sing a song about His faithfulness and how easy it is to forget how faithful He's been over here so that in the here and now I'm not trusting Him anymore and I'm placing something or someone new on the throne because I trust that or Him or her more than I trust the Lord. It is easy to forget how faithful the Lord has been in the past when we're facing new challenges today. Ironically enough, they replace him with a human who can't be found. Um, They cast lots, Uh, it's a selection process, and really it's a process of elimination. Bring forth the tribe of Israel and God will select one of the tribes. Benjamin comes forward. Bring forth the clans of the tribe of Benjamin. God will select one. Cast the lots, one clan comes, bring forth the families in that clan, uh, God selects one, and then, and then it's Saul who is finally in the end selected as the king. This was, if you remember last week, God already had anointed Saul through Samuel. This was God's effort of saying, look, this is my choice. I want to let you know, miraculously, here is the choice standing before you. And so they go through this selection process where they cast lots. Now, we see this casting lots business a couple times in the Bible. Uh, We saw it in Joshua chapter 7, verses 14 through 18, when they're sitting in the camp and they can't figure out why God is punishing them. And so they go through and they do this selection process, almost exactly like this one. And finally, they find this one family, and there's this guy named Achan, and he had stolen. And so that was the way that God had shown them who was the one who did something wrong. We saw this in Jonah. Jonah's going the wrong direction. God tells him to go this way. He goes that way. He ends up on a boat. And then all of a sudden they're going, wait, why is there this storm? We're going to die. They casted lots. It fell on Jonah. They go, Jonah, what did you do? And he goes, I'll tell you what I did. I'm running away from God. They're going, well, you brought this onto us. He goes, yeah, you're going to need to throw me overboard. And they're like, we can't do that. He's like, well, you're going to do it or you're going to die. And so they throw him overboard. He gets swallowed by a whale. That's the 
story, right? And so that's uh, another point where we see this selection of lots. We see it in the New Testament, or actually we see it another time in the Old Testament in a positive way uh, when they divide up the promised land in Joshua chapter 14. We see it in the New Testament when Judas Iscariot was, uh, was no longer an apostle, obviously, and they needed to replace him. Acts chapter 1, and they draw lots and God replaces them. So we see this in both positive and negative ways, but I would just let you know that I'd be very careful in applying this to my own life when a large amount of the context is used in judgment. There was sin in the camp in Joshua, and God used these lots to show them who it was. Jonah's going the wrong direction, as in judgment there's use of lots. And then here, Israel is saying, we don't want you, God. We're, we're replacing you, and again, the time of judgment of Israel, there's these youths of Lot. So I, I would just be very careful of applying this in my own life as if we should draw straws on who we should marry. <laughs> like, I, I wouldn't do that. I wouldn't, I wouldn't recommend that. Um, I would say there are some things in the Bible that are descriptive, and there are some things that are prescriptive. That's one of the interpretive tools used, and I would just say this was on a descriptive level. It's describing what happened rather than prescribing what we should do in our lives. Um, I'm going to date myself here. How many of you guys remember the game MASH? M-A-M-A-S-H, right? Yeah, when we were little kids, and, and oh, you still do it? I was wondering if the kids still do it today. Okay. And so you can, you know, you can have a mansion or an apartment or a shack or a house, and you can have a number of kids, and then you put the three ladies that you, or, or men, depending on, you know, who's playing, and you, and you figure out who you're going to marry, and, and finally I'm going to end up with Cindy with 15 kids, and we're going to be in a shack, right? Uh, I wouldn't make decisions based on that. <laughs> like, I wouldn't use that as a decision that God just told me, you know. And if you're like me, you put two pretty girls and one ugly one because you're like, you got to be fair. Then you end up with the ugly one like, ah, what do I do? You stop playing match. That's what you do. <laughs> uh, don't make permanent plans like that. Well, the lots directed them to the tribe of Benjamin, and anyone who knew their Bible knew that this couldn't be the promised king. Here's what's really interesting. In Genesis chapter 49 and verse 10, the Bible says the promised king of the Old Testament, the anointed one, the Messiah, has got to come out of the tribe of Judah. And here Israel is saying, we want our king. We want that king you talked about. And yet they're not going to get him. Because Benjamin was not of the tribe. It's a completely different tribe. So anybody who knew their Bible would go, okay, well, that's a king, a king that we're getting. But that's not the king. Because God's already declared to us it's going to come from the tribe of Judah. In fact, ironically enough, Israel had previously thought of exterminating the tribe of Benjamin. Because of their atrocities, as we see in Genesis chapter 20. We should get rid of them. They're so bad. And yet this is where the king is going to come out of, the first king, King Saul. Well, this is what happens when you jump the gun on God's timing. Another principle you can take into your own life. When you jump the gun on God's timing, you often get something that was not necessarily from him. It's from yourself, and it may not be exactly what you're expecting. From the beginning, we knew that it couldn't be God's man because of where he came from. Well, at this crucial moment, uh, here is a divine validator. Here is a mirac miraculous activity that says, this is your king. Uh, and, and it's almost like they're pulling back the curtains on the stage. And here, stepping forward, is supposed to be Saul. <laughs> but he's not there. 
Like he's nowhere to be found. So much so that they got to go back and ask God about it. I want you to go back to verse 22. And so they inquired, but when, oh, let's go back to 21. But when they sought him, they could not, he could not be found. So they inquired again of the Lord, is there a man still to come? And the Lord said, behold, he has hidden himself among the baggage. Nowhere to be found. Um, he's hiding amongst the supplies. This vacancy would foreshadow his reign as king as he vacated the responsibility of being a godly ruler as well. This is your king, everybody. This is who you wanted. You took God away off the throne. You put a human king there, and he isn't even anywhere to be found. Now, there is lots of debate. Why is that? Is it because he's humble? It's because he doesn't want it? Is he scared? Is it overwhelming to him? Probably all those things in one way or another are true. But as is the case in our lives as well, divine solutions are generally better than our human ones. And that's because the best humanity can offer generally falls short of God. In fact, that leads us to our second point. What happens when we trade God in for finite things? God is infinite, and when we trade him in for things that are finite, what happens? Well, we end up with the best humanity can offer. We end up with the best humanity can offer. If I'm going to replace God and take him off the throne and he's no longer in charge, then whatever I put there is now God over my life, and that's something of a human-derived nature. And we end up with the best humanity can offer when we set God aside. Let's look at this in verses 23 through 27, and then we'll try to bring it home together. Watch as I read. It says... Then they ran and took him from there, and when he stood among the people, he was taller than any of the people from his shoulders upward. And that's speaking of Saul. And Samuel said to all the people, do you see him who the Lord has chosen? There is none like him among all the people. And all the people shouted, long live the king. And then Samuel told the people the rights and the duties of the kingship. And he wrote them in a book and laid them up before the Lord, probably in the sanctuary. And then Samuel sent all the people away, each one to his own home. Saul also went to his home in Gibeah, or Gibeah. And with him went all the men of valor whose hearts God had touched. But some worthless fellows, I love that, some worthless fellows said, how can this man save us? They despised him and brought him no present. But he, being Saul, held his peace. What happens when we trade God in for finite things? Well, we end up with the best humanity can offer. Now, there's a, there's a hint of sarcasm in that. Whenever you replace God with anything, you're going to get sloppy seconds, so to speak. You're, you're going to get second best. You end up with the best humanity can offer, and there's a little bit of sarcasm in that. And there's a little bit of sarcasm in Samuel's presentation of Saul as well. Look at the best. He's the best out of everybody. Sarcasm. He's hiding amongst the luggage at baggage claim. So Samuel Samuel presents the best humanity has to offer. And in that presentation, we notice again, and this is actually rather significant. I want you to file this in the back of, your man, back of your mind, because later on in the story, this becomes relevant again. This is now the second time that Saul is listed as taller than everybody else, from the shoulders above. He's taller than everyone else. Just file that in the back of your mind. Keep that in your mind when we get to later chapters in the, in the book of 1 Samuel. But the idea is he looks the part. 
He's taller. He's stronger. As far as outward appearances, as far as external validators, his height, his weight, his bronze, he fits the part of a king. We want a king like everybody else. They parade him and they bring him forward and everybody's proud of what their king looks like and he's strong and he's a man of valor and he's a warrior. We want that and he looks the part, except for he can't be found. But other than that, he looks the part of a king. And ironically enough, after writing down, Samuel gives them uh, the, the kind of the relationship, how this is going to work, how a king works with his people, how God works in relationship with the king and the people. And uh, undoubtedly, there is like a, 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 a subordination here. The king is subord- subordinating himself before God, and the people are subord- to subordinate themselves before the king. After all that, he still, in his, king, in his kingship, receives similar scrutiny of the old king, that being God. You see, Israel has said, we don't want you, God. We want you as king. We want a human king. And so God was receiving some scrutiny. And in the very first act as being king, already there's people going, he can't be the king. And so the same scrutiny that was given God as king is given to Saul as king. And this, in the midst of his coronation. So there's an ancient times precedent where Egyptian kings would have a coronation where the gods of the time would give their approval. And that's kind of what's going on here. God has selected Saul, given his approval of Saul amongst the people. You want to be like the rest of the country? Great. Are the other countries of the world they wanted a king? Fine, we'll give you your own king. We'll do the whole coronation thing. We'll even write down how this relationship's going to work, who subordinates to who, how this whole thing will work. Probably a more detailed description than what we see in Deuteronomy chapter 17, verses 14 through 20. That's written down, put in the temple of God, guarded there. We don't have it. We don't have exactly what that meant. But it was, it was the idea, here's the relationship. Here's the covenant between the people and the king. This is how it's going to work. And all are going to be subordinate to God himself, that whole thing. Finally, when that all gets done, and they are presented their king before God and the people, there are some that still despise them. In fact, the literal idea is they were scoundrels. I think the ESV, ESV says uh, some worthless fellows. That could be literally translated scoundrels. There's scoundrels out there, and they despise him, even though he was just selected as king. The interesting thing about Saul is he doesn't get insecure about it. Um... The, it says that he held his peace. The literal idea there is that he pretended to be deaf. It's actually a great leadership quality to know when it's time to stop listening to a situation. So, you know, I'm just not even going to listen to what they're saying. I'm going to pretend to be deaf. I didn't hear that, which I think is a pretty good start as king, because I suppose as king, you could have said, oh, really? You're dead. Uh, take them out. My first uh, act as king is anybody who is a scoundrel and despising me, they die. And he doesn't do that. Instead, he stays quiet, he's humble. Uh, We see kind of a great start to to Saul. You know, he's humble, he's hiding, he's forgiving. All things that you would say, man, that's pretty kind for a person of that stature and authority. In fact, if we looked back in the last, uh, let's say, two or three chapters of the book of 1 Samuel, what do we see as it relates to Saul and his start? Well, he was chosen and appointed or anointed by God. We saw last week that he was filled with the Holy Spirit, not the same kind of filling we get in regeneration and salvation, but a different type of of empowering to do the task. 
He's supported by great men of valor, according to, uh, to Samuel. Samuel himself is uh, uh, supporting him. He's given great gifts appropriate for royalty. He's enthusiastically supported by most of the people of Israel. And he's wise enough to know which statements he should ignore. It's a pretty good start. Too bad it won't end that way. Too bad it won't end that way, as we're going to continue to see in the rest of our study in the book of 1 Samuel. You see, great starts don't necessarily guarantee great finishes. Great starts don't guarantee a net great finish. In fact, that's a big idea. Great starts don't necessarily guarantee great finishes. You can start well, but it doesn't mean you will finish well. You, you, can, you, can, you can get off the block in record time, but if you don't finish the race, what did it amount to? Or if you overexerted yourself and you can't finish the race, what did it amount to? Great starts don't necessarily guarantee great finishes. Saul had a great start, but it's not going to end that way. He's not going to have a great finish. And if we aren't careful, we could have a similar end ourselves. You know, ironically, today we're doing a walk for water. There is a starting, uh, uh, you know, like banner thing that we're going to be walking under, and there's a finish line, you know. But how many of you know that how you finish the race is more important than how you start the race? And I'm speaking about race terminology, but I'm also talking about our lives, right? How you finish is more important than how you started. Some people focus in on the start and don't worry about the finish, and that's problems. Some people are so worried about the start and what they did in the start, don't worry about that anymore. Just worry about the finish. How you finish the race is more important than how you started, and great starts do not guarantee great finishes. You know, when I was a kid, I used to be thoroughly, thoroughly into um, collecting baseball cards. I think I've told the church before. Um, I loved baseball cards. I loved baseball card trading. Like many of you, I have a stash of baseball cards in my attic right now. Raise your hand if you have baseball cards in your attic right now. Yeah. Really? That's awesome. I would have never guessed. If you have like a a Babe Ruth or something, I'll buy it for me for like a dollar. Um, That's awesome. Um, My favorite player was Mark McGuire. Mark McGuire was my favorite player. I remember seeing him for the first time live at the Oakland Coliseum, what they used to call it, with about 50,000 fans. Last week, I think they had about 1,000, which just affirms great starts don't necessarily guarantee great finishes. Um, 50,000 fans. I remember I was in the nosebleeds behind home plate, literally in the top row. And back in the day, I don't know if they still do this, they would take batting practice before the game. You could go in like three hours before the game. You can watch them take batting practice. They hit home runs. You could catch them. Well, I'm in the nosebleeds behind home plate, and I see Mark McGuire, and I can't breathe. Like, like somebody had just kicked me. And you know what they call it? Losing your wind? What is it called? When you... uh, Get the wind knocked out of you. Thank you. <laughs> Should have wrote that down. And, and, uh, and, and I can't breathe because Mark McGuire's in the same stadium as me. He looks like an ant. I mean, I'm way up there. He's waiting. But I'm just like, I can't believe Mark McGuire is here. It was the days of old when the, you know, the Bass brothers were in town. Mark McGuire and Jose Canseco. I think Ricky Henderson was on that team. Dave Henderson was on that team. Dave Stewart, Dennis Eckersley, Mike Gallegos. And the list goes on and on. It was a great team. Four years of, of just amazing baseball in the Bay Area. And here I'm in the nosebleeds, can't breathe, because I see Mark McGuire. Uh, he was my favorite. I would collect three of his card, every card. So it wasn't enough to just have one baseball card of Mark McGuire. I needed to have three of them. 
Uh, so his Don Russ rookie card, three. His Topps rookie card, three. His, his Fleer rookie card, three. The second year card, three of each. I would literally walk around with like a binder full of Mark McGuire's. All my friends were like, hey, trade us for Mark McGuire. Oh, no, it's untouchable. Hey, we'll give you five cards for that one Mark McGuire. Nope, not happening. I'd go into card shops, and they'd look through, and they go, well, we'll trade you for Mark McGuire. Nope, untouchable. You got like three of each one. I know. But here's the thing. They're untouchable. I don't care. You can give me 20 cards. I am keeping three of every Mark McGuire card I have. Why? Because they're untouchable. It's interesting, Mark McGuire had 49 home runs his rookie year, only to later find himself embroiled in a steroid scandal and controversy, which just goes to show that great starts don't guarantee great finishes. No, he traded his great career in for what he thought would be a transcendent career, but there's only one who is the transcendent one. You see, I, I wasn't happy enough with just what I have. I have to be transcendent, uh, otherworldly, other human. And so I wanted to take the spot of God in a sense. He's the only transcendent one. And in that spot, he fell miserably. Because great starts don't necessarily guarantee great finishes. I wonder if you've ever placed God in the untouchable category. I wonder if you've ever placed God in the untouchable category. So that he can't be traded for anything or anyone. He's untouchable. I don't trade him out. He's on the throne. I don't move him to the side. Can I just share with you as a pastor some of the hardest things we deal with? We know stories and situations about four layers deep on many People, I've been doing this for 20, 25 years. I've seen different things. We're not allowed to talk about it, obviously. We never attach a story with a name that would be inappropriate. But we see things on a level that's really hard as we watch people veer off the path of godliness. We watch them tangent away from God. I remember being a youth pastor and seeing little boys and little girls having to deal with the fact that their parents are splitting up because one of them had an affair. And it's different than everything else that they've been taught since they were younger. Now, I don't understand everything you've taught me and said to this point doesn't measure up to what you're doing right now. I've been through it on that level as a a lead pastor, as an adult pastor walking people through their addictions, whether it's alcohol addiction, prescription drug addiction, uh, street drug addiction, pornographic addiction, sexual addiction, all these things as you watch families deteriorate because of it. Something that started off with such a great trajectory finds itself on a divergent direction. It's hard to know those stories. And you know what I've noticed along the way? It doesn't usually start with like just one deviant, huge deviant decision. Small compromises. Small things that started. The lack of consistency in the reading of the Word of God. The lack of consistency in a regular and continual prayer life. 
the lack of consistency in attendance of church, the severed relationships that promote accountability, the lack of vulnerability and transparency within those relationships, the newfound relationships with someone who has a sinful influence in your life. All this finds its way eventually into a very disappointing finish where God gets traded in for something that can't even come close to his brilliance and his beauty. Have you ever put God in the untouchable category? Not trading him in. He's untouchable. You see, great starts don't necessarily guarantee great finishes. And all of us should be mindful of this. Can I ask you to pray for me? There's too many pastors in the last 20 years who have fallen and defamed the name of Christ. It's one of my biggest fears. Pray for me that I wouldn't divert, that I'd stay close to God's side and that he would remain untouchable in my heart and in my mind, even as a pastor. Well, the Boston Red Sox traded in the greatest player in baseball history for some paper, and they wound up missing tremendously, missing out tremendously. And when we trade God in, the God of the universe in for something else, how much do you think we miss out on? Great starts don't necessarily guarantee great finishes. When's the last time you looked at your spiritual walk with God and analyzed it for what it is? Examine it. I think Paul says in 2 Corinthians, examine yourself to see that you're in the faith. It's 5.10 or 10.5, one of those two. Examine yourself. Where am I at? Take stock of where you are spiritually. Well, if you're here today and you're not a believer, you can't trade in what you don't have. You've never had it. And so I'd like to introduce you to it. Our worldview as Christians is that we don't deserve God, that we've fallen off the beat of the path. All of humanity, if you feel like, wow, that's kind of a negative story, it's not just for you, it's all of us. God is holy and eternal and infinite, and we're not. Once we've done one thing wrong, we don't deserve Him, and we've done many. Many of us would probably agree to that. And God says, I can let all of humanity go to hell, and I would be just and right in doing so, or I could do something about it. And what he said is, I'm going to send my son to die the death that they deserve, to die for their penalty, their sin, and I'm going to exchange his righteousness for their sin. So that God would look at David or Tom and go, I know you've done past, present, future. I'm all-knowing. I can't forget. I can separate them as far as the east is from the west, but I cannot forget. But what I've done is I said, I'm going to look past it and place over you the blood of Jesus Christ where I can see you through the lens of perfection. So when he sees David Hurtado and anybody else in the room who's a follower of Christ, he says, my perfect child, even though I know what they've done past, present, or what they will do in the future. That is our gospel. That is our good news. That is what we place our faith in. And if you will say, I believe in that, I believe I need a substitute to be righteous for me rather than 
be evaluated on my own righteousness before God. If you will do that, the word of God says you'll be saved. You place your faith in Jesus Christ, his death, his burial, his resurrection from the dead, and you die to your old self and rise again to new life. We celebrate that in baptism. In fact, we've seen, I think it's about one person a month come to Christ. And if you're here and you're one of those people, I want to let you know the next step for you is to symbolically show where your heart is by getting baptized. Saying, I was I died to my old self and I've risen again. I'm in Christ. I'm on his team. And so when you see us promote baptism, that's the next step for you. But if you're here and you don't know him, that's your first step. Place your faith in Jesus Christ. Why don't you bow your head and close your eyes? Let me speak to your heart. We're going to get out. We're going to walk for water in solidarity with all our brothers and sisters across the world. But before you do that, have you taken stock of your own heart, where you're at? Whether you're a believer, are you on a divergent path? Maybe just a degree off of where you used to be, but where that leads down the road can be very significant. If you're here and you're a non-believer and you don't know Christ yet, would you consider placing your faith in Christ? Father, we don't want to trade you in. We don't want to trade you. We don't want to follow in the mistakes that our brother and sisters in the Old Testament followed and that we have the tendency to want to follow every day, that we have internal urges that we would veer off from you every day. Help us not trade you in. Help us put you in the untouchable category. He's untouchable. Not trade them for anything. I pray you do it. In the name of Jesus. Amen.
everyone have a seat? So good to be all together in one service. What an awesome time of worshiping together as a church. You know, this is an awesome church. Uh, we've been doing a lot of things lately. If you were here on um, Mother's Day last weekend, we had a ministry called Love Life um, here, and we took an offering for them, and we raised almost $6,000 that we were able to give them. You guys are so incredibly generous. And then, um, and then last month we did, or maybe two months ago, we did a thing called Cater a Cup. We raised money in order to cater a briefing at the police station. Um, I think I have some pictures of that. Here we are. It was, that was such an awesome thing. They were so well received. They're so grateful. And I want to tell you, we did it right. We had, uh, for the dinner, we had Wood Ranch. We got bread basket for dessert. We had Starbucks coffee. Um, we sent them with like little snacks and bars they can take with them on their shift. And then we catered a breakfast as well on a different, they do a 6 a.m. and a 6 p.m. And the 6 a.m. one, the same, we had um, Good Morning Cafe. We sent them with energy drinks and things they can take with them. It was an awesome time. So thank you for supporting that. You guys are such a generous church. We're going to, yeah, you can clap for that. That was good. If you weren't around for that, the whole idea was we just want to say that we appreciate our police here at Camarillo and what they do for our community, you know, and uh, that was a, such a great positive thing. Anyway, we're going to receive our offering now. That's one of the ways we worship God, where we say, hey, you're number one in our life. For those of you who worship here regularly, it's we encourage people to tithe and follow what the Bible says. God's put it on your heart to support our ministry. There's three ways to do it. Go to our website, camcc.net, click give. Uh, you can text the amount you'd like to donate to 84321, or we have an offering box in the lobby if that's more convenient for you. Okay, a couple things for today. Um, again, like Pastor David said, everyone's welcome to walk. We have a table for uh, same-day registrations. We have a limited amount of shirts, so you can maybe even still get a shirt. If you can't afford to do that, you don't want to do that, that's fine. We still want you to walk with us. You're welcome to walk. Um, there's a 6K walk, and if that's too much, we have another one-mile alternate route you can take. Uh, Kelly's going to dismiss everyone at 1030. And then the other important detail is next weekend is our Memorial Day camp out. So we're going to be holding our worship service at the campground on Saturday night. And you're all invited to come out. Even if you're not camping, you can come up for the day at Kachuma Lake. There's going to be a potluck uh, dinner. And then we're going to uh, have our worship there. And then alternatively, we'll have be streaming an online service on Sunday morning. But there won't be in-person services here in this room next weekend. All right check out this video for what's coming up next. Hey, CamCC. I'm Sharice Bennett. I serve in hospitality and worship ministries. I'm truly glad you're here with us today. If you are a first, second, or third time guest, we have some great gifts for you. Starbucks gift cards, thirst quenching mugs, and all you can eat dessert with our staff and elders. If this is your first, second, or third time with us, go to the welcome counter in the lobby so we can spoil you. Or if you're online watching, go to campcc.net slash next steps. There are a lot of great things coming up at CampCC. Who will you invite to join you? Friday, May 26th through Monday, May 29th, Family Camp. Don't miss this weekend of games, hiking, fishing, swimming, and s'mores. Our gatherings will be held in person on Saturday night with an all-church potluck dinner at Lake Kuchuma and an online-only Sunday, May 28th. Register at campcc.net slash camping. Friday, June 2nd, middle school all-nighter, 7 p.m. to 7 a.m. Yes, you heard that right, all night long. 
games, prizes, tons and tons of fun. Register at campcc.net slash allnighter. June 18th through 23rd, Friathon High School Summer Camp. Outgoing 8th graders to seniors, enjoy the best week of your life at the beautiful Lake Tullock. Registration is now open. Wakeboarding, tubing, giant inflatable water slide, and trampoline. Build lifelong memories. For more information, contact Jacob at campcc.net or register at campcc.net slash firethon. August 11th through 14th, Middle School Catalina Summer Camp. Save the date. More details to come. To stay in the loop what's going on at CamCC, follow us on Instagram, like us on Facebook, and subscribe to our YouTube channel. For more information on any of these events, go to CamCC.net. Pastor Dave for that message, and it's just a really good reminder to just um, constantly be looking to the Lord um, to not make bad trades in this life and to um, just make sure that we always have His will for our lives um, first and that we don't even, you know, trade that for the best that the world has to offer. Um, Kimmy? Yes. Um, those of you who have kids, please be sure to grab your kids from the childcare area um, before you meet out on the patio. And then Kelly, Pastor Kelly will meet you out on the patio and he'll give you further instructions on uh, the walk for water. Yes, and then before you go, don't forget about Lake Kachuma next weekend for family camp. Um, if you haven't signed up yet, go online and grab a spot. I don't know if there's any left, but... And um, don't forget that also we have a service online. So the gathering will just be online. So don't come here. Have a good week and have fun on the walk. God bless you.